0: You're listening to the SMD Radio Podcast. In the first segment of today's episode, Bob Farrell and Craig Coleman of Signalysis had the pleasure of sitting down with Jerry Neeb to talk about his association with the Yamaha GP factory racing team. Let's have a listen. Okay, so Jerry, I, I saw in the uh, recent Signalysis newsletter a little bit of a... Uh, a short interview with you that talked about your experience with Yamaha Motors. Uh, is that something you want to talk a little bit more about this morning? Can you give us some background on that?
1: Sure, I can do that. If you uh, are okay with it, I'll start with the ancient history. Where let's it all let's began. get into it then. Okay, so the ancient history kind of starts in uh, about 1980, where I found myself working for, I think it was six or eight weeks at Johnson Space Center. And uh, how that came about was I was working with a company called SDRC at the time. And um, SDRC was a, a very interesting place to work where we, it was a consulting company. And uh, SDRC's uh, even older history than that was they started out as a uh, testing company where they, went, they called themselves sophisticated troubleshooters where they went around going out on the road and with uh, some – Equipment that would have been regarded as super high-tech at the time and tried to solve people's mainly vibration problems but other other vibration problems with equipment also. So anyway, what we were doing at uh, Johnson Space Center is we had a project with NASA to do uh, uh, ground testing on a lot of the space shuttle components. So at the time I was down there, we were working on the uh, what was called the Ohms pod, which is the orbital maneuvering, maneuvering system pod and the RCS pod there reentry control system pod. And it turned out that Bob Coleman was in charge of that project. So that's when I first, uh, Signalysis didn't exist at that time, uh, but that's when I first met Bob Coleman. Bob is uh, probably, uh, hopefully a lot of people that are listening to this know that Bob is uh, Neil Coleman, the president of Signalysis' father. And so uh, I had already known Neil because Neil worked at SDRC with so me. So was time. Bob
0: with SDRC or at NASA? Where was Bob at this time?
1: Uh, Bob actually, I believe, was employed by Northrop. So Northrop was a contractor for NASA at the time. And who was at Johnson Space Center at that time were a lot of uh, NASA contractors. So, so NASA is kind of the governing body of anything that happens in space, but they, they employ a lot of uh, private companies contractors so Northrop was there and uh, Boeing was there and uh, uh several of the other aerospace companies were involved in the space shuttle project but anyway I I totally got off track there from Yamaha but uh the the way I first heard the name associated with my career uh the, the way I first heard the name Yamaha associated with career was when I was at and just getting ready to end the project down in Johnson Space Center and uh Somebody from SDRC called me and said, "Hey, we got your next project lined up." So what we did at SDRC was kind of went from project to project, which, whichever uh, whichever things came up and the the jobs got assigned to whichever engineer they thought would be the the right guy to do it. So they approached me, uh, "Do you want to be involved in this Yamaha project when you get back from NASA?" Well, yeah, that was that was like. Uh, you know, feeding uh, raw meat to a to a so to a hungry a, tiger at the time. Yamaha
0: is in motorcycles, or
1: it, this was motorcycle and the Yamaha is involved in a whole lot of. So, our, you know, people associate the name Yamaha with motorcycles, but Yamaha is involved. Racing,
0: uh, commercial. Uh,
1: th- this was a, a street motorcycle that the project involved. So it was the it was the Yamaha motorcycle group that the project was for, and at the time I was a very young engineer, so I was only two or three years out of college at the time. And, um, so I was kind of wet behind the ears, I guess you might say when this project was introduced to me, but like I say, it was, it was like feeding raw meat to a hungry tiger because, uh, I've been, an, I've been a motorcycle nut ever since I was 14 years old. You know, I started, my first ticket I ever got was for riding a motorcycle without a driver's license. <laughs> That's how, you know, so I, I was just motorcycle crazy. So, um. I guess somebody at SDRC knew I was. Of course, there was a lot of us motorcycle crazy at SDRC, so everybody was everybody was jealous of me for uh, being appointed to this project. So as soon as I got back from uh, from NASA, um, I started on the Yamaha project. Whoever designed this project or whoever proposed this project, to Yamaha, I'm not sure who that was or how that came about, but whoever did it was very clever because it was it was like a technology transfer project. So part of my um, assignment was to uh, teach a guy that was going to come over from Japan, from Yamaha, teach him what we were doing, but the, the clever part of this project was uh, combining just the technology transfer aspects of it with a practical problem. So that, that what was done very, very well. It's so much easier to work on something with somebody else and show them what they're doing when you have a goal in mind. Whereas if all you have to do is is teach them something, it's much more difficult. I know that because I had a all, part of my career later was to be a uh, instructor for mechanical engineering at Cincinnati State Technical College, and I know it's much much harder to get ideas and concepts and how to do things across the students when you're just doing it from an academic standpoint. Than when when you're applying it to a practical project. So, are you allowed
0: to are you allowed to elaborate on? You mentioned troubleshooting being a part of uh, your job at the time. Was this associated with a problem Yamaha was having, or is yeah. that something you can disclose? Or
1: yeah, no, no it's it's. Uh, it it Age might have been se- it <laughs> might have been secret at the time, but that was, it was getting close to 40 years ago, so I don't think it's secret anymore. It involved a problem with a uh, motorcycle they were producing at the time called the RD 350 LC. So motorcycle guys will very readily recognize the name Yamaha RD 350. The LC part stood for liquid cooled, so this was they were turning the. Uh, the really well-received RD350 motorcycle, which was an air-cooled 350 twin cylinder into liquid-cooled to uh, get more horsepower out of it. And um, it also had a lot to do with uh, improving the emission. It was a two-stroke engine, so it had a lot to do with improving the emission requirements, so on and so forth. Well, anyway, to make a long story short, uh, one of the big problems that the RD350 had, it was a fantastic motorcycle, but one of the one of the main problems that it had was because it was a 180-degree crankshaft twin cylinder, that engine configuration is inherently susceptible to what's called a secondary unbalance. The pistons go up and down opposite each other, and that creates a torque in the engine, which causes causes a high-frequency vibration. And so Yamaha wanted to solve that problem. Well, they had a young, clever engineer that solved that problem on this motorcycle, so he created... He invented, got a patent on it, what was called the uh, the uh, orthogonal engine mounting system on this motorcycle. And it, the orthogonal engine mounting system worked fantastic. It almost completely eliminated that secondary unbalance. Uh, it, I, it, it didn't eliminate the vibration, but it caused the engine to vibrate on its own and not transmit those vibrations. It was an isolation system that caused the vibrations to be restricted to the engine and not get transmitted into the frame, so the rider basically couldn't feel the vibration. But as, as it turned out, uh, a secondary effect of it was there was a certain RPM where the engine vibration that was still there caused the uh, exhaust system to go into resonance. So there was one particular speed where the vibration from the exhaust system was, was really, really bad, and the, and the rider could feel it. And that was the basic problem that we were attacking with what this What do you project. mean?
0: Feel was it something that was potentially a safety hazard, or is it just me? No, it was. not
1: It's just rider comfort. It wasn't really a safety hazard. Or it wasn't going to cause any failure problems on the motorcycle. But it was just a speed where the, all of a sudden the rider started feeling a buzzing in the handlebars and possibly a buzzing in the in the rear end sitting on the seat and so they could tell the motorcycle was the, the rest of the RPM range the the bike had become so quiet so smooth without any vibration that when you got into this one RPM, RPM range where there was vibration it was very very noticeable to the rider and so that's that's what we were trying to eliminate.
0: So how was uh, how was that problem solved how, what was your process for that?
1: To be honest, I'm not sure we ever did solve it. <laughs> we knew the cause of the problem, and we had some proposals to, uh, as a way to uh, uh, alleviate that problem. I think the main we, – we alleviated it to a certain extent by changing the way the, uh, the header pipes were coming out of the engine. We put in a little bit of an isolation um, – uh, not a coupling is not the right word, but there's like a little isolation – spring and damping uh, part that went in between the exhaust header and the engine that somewhat reduced that vibration. It didn't solve it completely. It was still there, but at least reduced the vibration. And that motorcycle went out of production before they had a chance to implement anything more sophisticated than that.
0: So uh, I, I, I kind of remember reading in the uh, interview that that, led, that project led to a relationship with the CEO of the company or something along those lines, is right, that correct?
1: Right, right, exactly. So I hadn't got to the, the crux of the story yet. So what I was assigned to be a project manager and the project engineer on that. And so what Yamaha did, since it was primarily supposed to be a technology transfer project, they sent an engineer... Uh, from Japan to work with us at SDRC for uh, five months. So a guy who had never been to the United States before came from Japan. He was going to live in, uh, outside of Cincinnati in Claremont County where SDRC was located at the time, and he was going to be there for five months. And me being the project manager, I was kind of his caretaker, so to speak. Well, he was a young, you know, eager A very, very sharp, very, very intelligent uh, engineer, and he was in what was called their first R&D division at the time. So he wasn't, I didn't think anyway he was anything special. I just thought he was a good engineer that Yamaha assigned to this project. But anyway, he was a Japanese guy, and uh, he spoke English, but he didn't have any practical experience in speaking English. So a lot of Japanese especially college-educated Japanese, study the English language, but they never talked to an American or an, or an Englishman to actually have practical experience using the English language. So he knew a lot of English words, but he, he didn't essentially know how to use them in, a, in, a, in an American conversation. So uh, And I had, I had no knowledge of anything to do with Japan at the time. Uh, but anyway... He was a motorcycle guy, and so that interested me, so I took an interest in him, and anyway, I, I became his uh, I became his caretaker while he was in Cincinnati, and we, we did all kinds of things together in off hours, and so I got to be good friends with him, and um, hopefully, he got to be good friends with me at the same time. He got intimately familiar with everything there was to know about Cincinnati through the course of this project, and uh, that's how I got to know him, and that we hit it off so well, uh, that that relationship just kind of continued. And so, um, it, it ended up that it, that I'm still friends with him. I'm still communicating with him. And, uh, I've been at his house actually in Japan and stayed at his house. So he went on occasions. to become
0: CEO. Is that what And, you? and he <laughs> oh, went?
1: Yeah, he went, he, I, you know, it would take me a long time to, to tell you the progression of his career, but he went from a just a young engineer in their R and D division who I would say was probably pretty obscure with, you know, Yamaha employs, I think probably 50,000 people or more worldwide. So he was just one of the 50,000. Uh, but he did some things in his career that he just kept getting more and more recognition for the, for the things that he did for the company that he eventually ended up being the CEO of all of Yamaha, not just the motorcycle division, but the entire Yamaha motor company. So, uh, um, so it, you know, you just never know how things are going to turn out. So, uh, I didn't become friends with him because I thought he was going to be <laughs> CEO of Yamaha. You know, we were just engineers who, who enjoyed talking about engineering and also enjoyed motorcycles together. And so that just, that just worked out. Well, how
0: about, how about today? Do you stay in touch or?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm still in touch with, he's retired now. So I think he retired. He was CEO when he retired and I'm thinking he retired somewhere around 2013, 2014, something like that. i have to go back and make sure, but he's been retired for a few years. Um, but the uh, interesting thing about him being CEO is that also, I'm not sure if every CEO did it. I don't think every CEO did this, but for some reason he did this. He became the head of their MotoGP racing team as part of being the CEO of Yamaha. Maybe it was just because he was, such a uh, motorcycle and racing enthusiast that he just decided to appoint himself <laughs> the head of their moto gp racing team but as a result of that i got intimately involved with the moto gp racing team for a while too and that, that was really a highlight and a fun part of my career
0: well uh, so. why don't we uh, that's an interesting uh, topic we could get into that in more detail in, in a, a future podcast if you've got time and if you uh, are interested in doing that sure Sure. And, and maybe, um, maybe we can also talk a little bit more d- in detail about some of the things that, that lessons learned and, and how it impacted your career, your involvement with the project, and maybe some similar projects uh, as the Yamaha.
1: Yeah, sure. Love to do that. Just when you mentioned lessons learned, um, you know, looking back on that, one of the – I think I mentioned that I was an instructor down at Cincinnati State for a number of years. One of the One of the things that I tried to impart – to my students was not just engineering knowledge, but also just some life experience knowledge. You know, when you when you get to be my age, you know, there's only so much more new engineering information you can absorb but what you realize is um, practical world experience in dealing with people is just as important or maybe more important than, than just having a technical engineering knowledge. So one of the key lessons that I learned from that experience is, you know, you should always treat people you know like one of the reasons i think they appointed me to this yamaha project um, was because everybody else at sdrc who is a motorcycle enthusiast that would have liked to work on that project they probably had a fuller life than I had at the time, and they weren't interested in spending a lot of off hours trying to nursemaid some Japanese guy that didn't speak English very well for five months. <laughs> and so, but for me, you know, that, that was an ideal situation for me at the time. And what I'm getting at is what I learned from that is, you know, no matter how painful it might be to deal with somebody or your reaction to somebody, to always treat them with respect because you never just know where you're going to turn out and where they're going to turn out in life. Just to um, just to always keep that in mind, no yeah, matter who you're point. dealing with and, and what you're dealing with them for.
0: Well, he's probably back home telling stories about you. So yeah,
1: his his stories about me may not be quite so uh, favorable well, maybe as my can stories get him about on, him on the
0: future podcast. Yeah, uh, with he, your he help. would actually
1: probably do that. He would like to do that, and so with technology today he could probably do it and still stay in Japan. That's right. Uh, yeah. He, he wouldn't have to come from he Japan to the United have to fly States. him over here. Right. <laughs> yeah, but he'd probably be willing to do that. Okay, so. well let's uh let's pencil I, in maybe there. I should mention his name just so everybody could could make sure that I'm not just blowing smoke and this is a real guy. His name is Masao Furosawa. F U in, in English it's spelled F U R U S A W A. So if you just Google Furosawa You'll probably come up with his name as the first hit. He's got his own Wikipedia page and describes his exploits. With His main fame came from being with the MotoGP racing team, but his, his actual uh, more important role in life was being CEO of Yamaha. That, that's a much more huge responsibility than being the head of the MotoGP racing team, but he got a lot more press and a lot more fame out of, out of being with the racing team. So.